This is Closer to the Fire from the Voice of the Martyrs Canada with a focus on the persecuted church. Nigeria is the deadliest place in the world to be a Christian. According to my guest, what we have is a genocide. They're trying to displace the Christians, they're trying to possess their land, and they're trying to impose their religion on the so-called infidels and pagans who they consider Christians to be. And joining me to talk about the terrible situation happening to the followers of Jesus in Nigeria is Emmanuel Ogebe. He is an international human rights lawyer specializing in African issues. Emmanuel is also the special counsel for the Justice for JOS Project U.S. based in Washington, D.C. Emmanuel, thank you for joining me. Hey, thank you very much for having me, Greg. Now, before we talk about all the terrible things that are going on in Nigeria, and it is ongoing, unfortunately, but tell me first about uh, the Justice for JOS project. Yeah, so Greg, Greg, in 2010, uh, you know, a mentor of mine, a Christian lawyer here in the Washington area, said to me, Emmanuel, your people are being slaughtered, your women and children. What are you going to do about it? And so I took a break from my consulting practice to work on the Justice for Just project uh, for one year. And that was 12 years ago. And so I found more and more that the situation in Nigeria is not a one-year project. It's become almost, you know, the consuming passion of my life at this point. Yeah, it is so hard to see. I, I've been in Nigeria, as you know, a number of times, I've done a lot of reporting. And I think I've been in about 36 countries where Christians are persecuted. But the one that impacts me the most, and not saying the others don't, because they do, but it's Nigeria. It's because of the brutality mainly. Uh, so what is Justice for Joss doing in a practical way? For the dozen years that I've worked on this uh, project, we have gone in and documented the atrocities that are ongoing in Nigeria, be they Boko Haram, the Fulani headsmen, the Nigerian military or the government. And we have presented this uh, data uh, in the US Congress, uh, in the Canadian parliament, uh, the UK parliament and different global fora to draw attention so that these people can be held accountable for what they're doing. So there's a political arm definitely on this, and I know you've met high leaders within uh, both the Canadian and the U.S. governments. And in terms of some of the practical things as well, uh, we think of medicine and food and, and Bibles and all that. Are, are you involved in that as well? Absolutely. Uh, in addition to causing the darkness, we light a candle. And so while we do advocacy uh, in global fora, we also provide uh, direct assistance to victims. This has meant providing surgeries for victims. This has me meant relocating victims to safety in the US. Uh, this has meant um, advocating on their behalf with other organizations, partnering with other organizations to provide them housing. Wherever possible, we do what we can to ensure that no victim is left without consolation. Yeah, it's and that's one of the things that happens is, you know, that people can often feel isolated. Nobody cares. 
Uh, you know, we think of the widows, the children, and again, like you, I have met many of them. It is personal to me uh, as a follower of Christ, but even more so with you, because these are your brothers and sisters in Christ, but it's also the people of your homeland. And so tell me about a situation where you lost members of your family going back to 2018. Uh, 238 people were killed in a village. It was a massacre in north central Nigeria. Six of the victims, Emmanuel, members of your family. Yeah. Now, you know, it's really ironic, uh, Greg, what happened was I heard about the atrocity, uh, triple-digit slaughter in several villages in, uh, in Plateau State, Nigeria. And I was on the radio show, on the Don Crow radio show here in the U.S., and I was calling out, you know, the government of Nigeria for not stopping this atrocity. When I came back home to my house here in Washington, D.C., my dad, who was visiting, said to me, I just got a phone call from Nigeria, and we had relatives who died in that attack. And, I mean, it, it really brought it home to yeah. me that, you know, I was speaking for people I thought I had no connection with other than my faith, only to discover that we had a blood connection. And I will tell you this, uh, we were able to trace uh, the one who got away, the daughter of my, uh, my relative who lost his wife, his life, and you know, his kids uh, that night. He had a nine-year-old daughter that we found who was visiting, you know, her step, uh, her, her, her uh, grandmom, and we've been able to take her away and place her in an orphanage where she can be safe. So again, we, you know, it's personal for you, Emmanuel. Not only are there Nigerians, but they are your actual family, uh, and it's so tragic uh, when you hear these stories. And and again, from a personal standpoint, and each person that is killed has a family, their brothers, their sisters, their mothers, their fathers. But I do think it's important to understand the thousands and thousands of Christians that have been killed over the last few years and the tens of thousands over the last 20 years. But Emmanuel, and I know this is something you do, we do it at the Voice of the Martyrs as well, is to tell the individual stories. Because when you get into these huge numbers, what can get lost is people that that have family, people that love them. And I know that's an important part of what you do. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. Um, and I, I have to tell you, you know, going back to the story of, you know, my young relative, uh, you know, who was the one left behind, uh, we placed her in an orphanage. And Greg, can you believe it? In August of last year, that orphanage was attacked by the Fulanese and destroyed in August. Same kid. Oh, no. And, uh, and so... Uh, for people like that, it's not just one attack. It's not just two attacks. It's multiple attacks. And I'll tell you, the first day we took her to that orphanage, I saw her run and hug another child. And I was like, do you know her? And she said, yes, she was from my village. And so, you know, some of the victims of that, that massacre who were friends of hers were displaced to an orphanage. And that's part of the continuing effect that individuals have. And so we try to document the stories of individuals to show that they're real, just like the kids, you know, in Ukraine that we're seeing on TV. Mm -hmm. These are human beings too. These are the, the, the delights of their parents too. 
And this is what is happening to them and has been happening for the last dozen years, at least. Yeah, and, and I think we saw probably even the beginning of that going back a couple of decades, and then it has just picked up steam. And it's, so it's not only, of course, people know about the Boko Haram. When I'm speaking in a meeting, I'll say, and I'm going to talk about Nigeria, and I'll say, have you heard of the Boko Haram? Yes, absolutely. And I'll say, do you know about the Fulani herdsmen? Now they might know that. And then we start talking about the fact that the Fulani herdsmen uh, can be even more brutal than the Boko Haram, which is hard to imagine. But maybe help us understand, Emmanuel, a little bit about why the Fulani herdsmen uh, are attacking Christians and what is the motive behind that? Now, yes, I have said in congressional testimony that um, Fulani herdsmen, militia, are actually worse and more horrific than Boko Haram. Like you said, it's hard to imagine that that is true. Uh, last week, I sent you photographs of Christian teachers in the school who uh, Boko Haram came and literally beheaded, beheaded the Christian and put the butt, his head on his tummy. I sent you those photographs. I now, saw those, Emmanuel, and I just want yeah. to just interject just for a moment. Um, yes. It made me very emotional. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, And there's a part of me, and in fact, I mentioned this just this past weekend when I was speaking in a church yeah. uh, about those particular photographs. I said, yeah. in some ways, if I showed you, uh, it's too graphic. Yeah. But on the other hand, yeah. we need to see the brutality. Yeah. Again, we're, we're going to show the photos, but we're going to blur them out. So if, if you're listening to this podcast uh, and you want to watch this interview, uh, we will make it so it's not as graphic. Yeah. But it is important to see yeah. the evil yeah. that is being poured. Again, I get emotional that is being perpetrated against those who love Jesus. Yeah. And and it actually made me physically ill. I'll be honest about that. Yeah. Yeah. And these are real people. These are people yeah. that have families. And I think, Emmanuel, that's so important that we don't yeah. lose that and we become desensitized yeah. to it, yeah. right? Yes. And And what I was trying to say is that the people who did that, are not as bad as the Fulani headsmen. And that is saying a lot. It now, is saying a lot, yes. <laughs> I will give you an illustration of one of the attacks that the Fulani headsmen did. And this they do consistently wherever they go. In Benue State, they saw a Christian woman on her farm. They attacked her. She was pregnant. They ripped open her womb. They pulled out the fetus in, in her tummy, and then they used a machete to butcher the fetus of the child. <sighs> now, this is why I say they're way more evil than Boko Haram, because Boko Haram doesn't go to that length of attacking a fetus in the womb. And, and, and the, the, the Fulani headsmen do this intentionally because they want to horrify the people who come to recover the corpses. So they, they are making a statement that this is how evil we are. We will destroy anyone and anything in our path. Boko Haram, on the other hand, will actually give you an option to convert to Islam and to renounce Christ. And that's why you find that, you know, like Leah, who we mentioned, she was given numerous opportunities to renounce Christ in the one month that she was held with all the other Muslim kids from her school. 
And when she said she wouldn't, they didn't kill her. They kept her as a slave and they allowed a uh, hundred Muslim girls to go. So Nigeria is caught in the vicious grip of what the Global Terrorism Index has called the second and fourth deadliest terror groups in the world. Hey, we'll talk about uh, Leah Sherbu in just a couple of moments. Uh, but before we do that, I want to go back even further. And I think it really was where the Boko Haram became more internationally known. You know, people like us that work with the persecuted church, international human rights organizations, very familiar with this militant Islamic group called, as you mentioned, the Boko Haram. But really where they became on the international stage, so to speak, was with the Chabak girls back in April of 2014. And people remember 276 mostly uh, Christian female students were uh, taken between the ages of 16 and 18, uh, taken by the Boko Haram from the government school uh, up in Borno State in Nigeria. We know that many of them uh, were able to get away or government, uh, you know, some deals were made, things like that, but there are still dozens are being held. What is the situation uh, with the Chibok girls and, and some of the updates that, uh, that you can tell us about, Emmanuel? What I can tell you, Greg, is that as we speak, 109 of those girls are still missing in Nigeria eight years after the abductions. And this is a travesty. Uh, the Chibok abductions are now the world's longest running school mass abduction. And 109 girls are still not back. One of them is named Dorcas. She was 15 years at the time she was abducted. I've gotten to know her mother and her father and her brother and sister. And Dorcas was last seen in a video, a proof of life video, pleading for release uh, from the hands of the uh, terrorists. And she was not amongst the 120 uh, girls who were um, ransomed by the Nigerian government. But I'll tell you something rather ironic. Dorcas's uh, cousin, who I brought here to the United States, um, graduated last week with a master's degree. Mm. And that just shows you the difference in the worldviews of the Muslim terrorists who are keeping her a slave in, in the forest today. And, you know, this girl who came to the United States and got a master's degree and is now going to be able to be gainfully employed and to be a blessing, hopefully, to her community back in Nigeria. I do want to tell you something that probably isn't known, but which we have gleaned from our work with many of the captives who have escaped or been released. And guess what the hundred, some of the Chibok girls are doing for the terrorists? They have become the medical core for Boko Haram terrorists. What has happened is Boko Haram said to the Christian girls who wouldn't deny Christ that, well, you're going to become slaves. And so initially, they used to be the ones who would fetch water and firewood for cooking and everything. But over time, Boko Haram has trained them to become medics or paramedics. So they are the ones who now tend to the wives and family members of Boko Haram 
and they also tend to victims uh, of abduction of Boko Haram who are brought in by the terrorists. So the girls have become more or less nurses in Sambisa Forest. Well, and I think one of the things, and again, we, we pray that they would be rescued. That is the number one thing that we pray, but that God would be with them no matter what was happening and that he would bless them. I mean, we see stories in the Bible, somebody like Joseph in the, we call the Old Testament, where God used him in a powerful way till he became the second highest ranking person yes. in all Egypt. And, yes. and again, I know there's the trauma involved, and that's a part of one of our other partners that we work with. And I know you do as well uh, for the girls that do uh, get either released or escape or however they make their way out. Tell me about the importance, though, when, when they are rescued or they do escape because they've been traumatized. Yes. Now, I, I should not fail to say that where I'm deeply grateful to um, Canadian Christians, and especially Voice of Matters Canada, for the help that you provided to some of the girls who came to school in the U.S. Let me be very clear. They were only able to go to college in America because Voice of the Matters Canada provided funding for them to go to college. Here's what happened is I had scholarships for them to go to high school, but we tested uh, them during the first year in the U.S. And we found out that two out of 11 uh, girls who we brought to the U.S. were ready for college level classes, but we didn't have the resources to do that. And that Christmas, um, VO and Canada decided to help us send two college kids to school, to, to um, college level kids to college. And a third one had arrived who was the daughter of a pastor who was murdered and who was shot in the head. And so we now had a gift that would allow us to put two kids in school and we would leave one behind. And so we struggled with, amongst ourselves and we said, we can't choose out of these three. All three must go. So my family and I and friends, we said, you know what? We'll take them into our home. We'll provide them food. We'll provide them transportation and we'll pay the tuition. We'll make this work. And let me tell you what, this is just really amazing. Out of those three girls, one was a Chibok um, escape girl. She became the first escape Chibok girl in the world to graduate with a university degree in America. Uh, one of the other girls uh, became the first um, victim of Boko Haram violence, that's the pastor's daughter, to obtain a master's degree last year in America. And so we, you know, that was a real blessing that what the enemy meant for evil, God turned around for good. Yeah, that's, that's beautiful, you know, and, and to know that, uh, you know, Canadian Christians can be a part of uh, the healing process. And I know that some of the girls that have, you know, ended up in the United States and in other parts of the world, uh, they struggle a little bit with the guilt because they know that their lives have improved. And yet they're also aware that many of their uh, sisters in Christ are still being held, but we continue to pray. We know that 
God is ultimately in control, and that is the hope that we have. Now, one of the most well-known stories, and again, uh, one that I uh, tell often because it represents uh, the girls that are being kidnapped, uh, you know, and and have been forced into Islam, and 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 it even goes beyond Nigeria and places like Pakistan and other places. But is Leah Sherabu? So on February nineteenth, two thousand eighteen, uh, Leah was with a hundred girls. They were kidnapped by the Boko Haram terrorists in Yobi State, which is northeastern Nigeria. And recently she turned 19 and she's been held now more than four years. Any updates, uh, Emmanuel, on the situation with Leah? What we do know about Leah's situation is that she has had two children, um, you know, for one of the commanders of Boko Haram. Um, Now, this is very unfortunate because she was taken as a 14-year-old child and has now spent uh, five years, uh, well, four years, a little over four years in captivity. Mm -hmm. And um, I do want to point out that from our discussions with some of the captives who have either escaped or been released, um, Leah is very much alive. Uh, One of them uh, said to us, I saw her, but they wouldn't let us come near her. I wanted to go up to tell her, that she is a hero of the faith because apparently she has no clue how she is being, um, she's become viral around the world as the world's youngest political prisoner. And so uh, we do know that she is alive. And a few few people who were in captivity with her were just released, um, you know, uh, weeks ago. We haven't had a chance to debrief with them yet. And we hope that we do. Uh, find out more about her situation. And I know that her parents um, have been, you know, of course, advocating, you know, calling the government, uh, calling our friends at Christian Solidarity Worldwide in Nigeria and saying, you know, is there any hope? Can we get her released? And and they actually said around Christmas time that they're probably not going to do that so much anymore. They are really going to concentrate on prayer. And I know Voice of the Martyrs uh, also, you know, Justice for Joss and, and other organizations uh, are committed to be praying for Leah. Uh, she is an amazing young lady. She really is a hero of the faith. And uh, we're praying that she will soon be released and re, you know reunited with her family. She's an inspiration to us in Canada, the United States and around the world. She's going through a lot, but her faith in Jesus is deep. It's absolutely amazing. So when we look at the situation, Emmanuel, in Nigeria, one of the questions that is asked, why doesn't the Nigerian government do more to protect the Christians, especially in the north? But it's not just the north. It's also Plateau State and other parts of, of Nigeria uh, where these villages are, are left unprotected. Why does the government not do more? And, and that is the million-dollar question. But the government of John Buhari has no real incentive or interest in protecting Christians. General Buhari himself is from the Fulani tribe. And the the, the tribe is a jihadi tribe. In other words, they're not uh, originally residents of Nigeria. Uh, In the 1800s, they rode into Nigeria in a jihad and conquered some of the existing Muslim groups in the country. They were unable 
to defeat some of the pagan uh, tribes in the country. And when the Brits came, those pagan areas became Christian. And so the jihadi Fulanis still think that they have a right to Islamize the rest of the country. And unfortunately, General Buhari has not shown any real commitment to protecting uh, Christian groups. He has, in fact, said that if he wasn't in the military, he would have been, uh, you know, a headsman as well. Um, he has actually said that these attacks are because, you know, the Christian communities are farming along the grazing routes of the cattle of the Fulani. So he has made very clear that he's not really uh, committed to protecting uh, the uh, Christian community from his killer tribesmen. And even with the previous government uh, Christian leader, uh, good luck, Jonathan, uh, those attacks were also happening. Uh, is I mean, is there anything, Emmanuel, that can be done? Uh, I mean, I know Buhari has said it maybe just to appease uh, other leaders around the world that they're, you know, we're trying to stop this. And every time there's an attack, uh, he comes out and says, this is terrible and all the rest of it. And yeah. and again, you know, the action that is, is not done, you know, kind of proves that he's yeah. not all that serious and his government's not all that serious. But so even with previous so-called Christian governments have not been able to do much. Is it because it's mostly Muslim in the north and and the military won't cooperate? Or how do we understand and uh, what's going on? And, and can this even be stopped at some point in time? Well, the military is largely complicit in what is going on. Uh, for example, you know, uh, in the massacre that occurred in um, in Plateau State in August, where the NS orphanage was destroyed and so on and so forth. The military did not respond, even though the attacks had been going on for a week and 80 people were killed. And when they were asked, why did you not uh, respond? They said, oh, we didn't have orders to respond. And that's the same thing that happened last month in, uh, in, in Southern Kaduna when the attacks began. Yeah. Now, let me point out real quick, from March 20th of this year up to April 20th, there were daily killings in northern Nigeria, in Kaduna State, in Benue State, in Plateau State, in Niger State. Daily killings. You can't tell me that the, the government has a commitment or is committed to the battle. But let me even tell you this, Greg. This is even more shocking. One of those attacks was the bombing of a train. And several of the passengers were killed, and the spotters who were on the train uh, on behalf of the terrorists helped them identify the people that they should abduct. And over 100 people were abducted from the train. Do you know that as we speak, over a month later, those people are still captive uh, in the forest? Do you know that days ago, the terrorist released a photograph of a baby who was born to a pregnant woman who was abducted by them on the train? Do you know that the terrorist recorded a video and sent to General Buhari? And as I speak to you now, not one person has been arrested. 
it is so unjust. And again, I guess we, as followers of Jesus, we have to remember that God is a God of justice and there will be ultimate justice. Uh, we pray that uh, we would see some of that on earth. Those uh, that do these horrible things would be held accountable. And also those that are suffering, they would be released and they would receive the help that they need. Uh, I mean, it just goes on. Even at Voice of the Martyrs, uh, we have what's called the persecution prayer alert, which comes out every week. And there's we could just have Nigerian stories every week because they... Yeah. There's just so many of them. It's hard to keep up. And again, I think, Emmanuel, the big thing here is not to get desensitized and go, oh, it's another attack in Nigeria. No, it's our brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's why uh, we need to pray. Uh, before we finish out with the podcast, I'd like to share some stories about, about amazing things that God is doing among some pretty remarkable people in the midst of persecution. Uh, you recently sent me a video. I watched it. It was very powerful. A young man named Daniel, uh, Borno State, uh, his village was attacked. His father was killed. Uh, he was able actually uh, to escape. Tell me a little bit about Daniel's story, because this is indicative of many of our brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, because I, I don't want people going away listening to this podcast just saying it's just all death and destruction. And yes, there's a lot of things going on. Homes, churches burn, people are killed. But in the midst of that, there's also amazing faith. Tell me about Daniel Emanuel and this pretty remarkable young guy. Yeah, I mean, you know, there is a silver lining in the cloud. And, you know, the, Lord, the Bible tells us how weeping endures for a night, but joy comes in the morning. And I, I want to start, you know, by sharing a little about um, Leah, Leah's family. Now, I, we, we spent the anniversary of Leah's abduction uh, with her sister and her, and her sister's husband last February in 2021. And it was a very sad meeting because, you know, when you meet with someone who has lost people, you know, they have some kind of closure. But when you meet with someone whose relative has been abducted and are undergoing a daily agony of not knowing when, not knowing where. You know, it's tough to, to, to you don't know what to say to them. And mm -hmm. so I felt the Holy Spirit urge me to ask her if, she, if, if they had children. And so I, I, I said, hey, um, do you and your husband have children? And she said, no. And I was like, okay, that was not the Holy Spirit because I've just made them even sadder now that they lost a sister and now they, they don't have kids. And, and so the pastor I was traveling with said, you know what, let's pray about that right now. We laid hands on them. We prayed for uh, Leah's sister. And would you believe it, in December, the last week of December, she gave birth to a baby. Oh. And so this year, for the anniversary of Leah's uh, 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 abduction, we went to visit, and she came with the baby, who she has named after the wife of the pastor, the American pastor who prayed for her to have a baby. And so that little miracle that God created a daughter, a, 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 a daughter, and blessed them because believers from the West came to pray with them was such a, I think, a, a, a touching thing for me, and certainly one of the highlights of last year. Yeah. And we need to hear those stories, Emmanuel, because yeah. uh, God is working 
in marvelous ways and as you you know call it silver lining and that is so true yeah. and and that's the thing about nigeria that i found there is just so much destruction and death and sadness and violence but there's incredible faith in fact i asked a, a, a well-known a nigerian you know church leader there a yenusa madu and uh, just said you know what have you learned because you're hearing all these stories and you're all these things that are going on. He said, but one thing that has happened is that the church in the North is actually stronger than the church in the South oh, because they've endured persecution. And absolutely. we know the Bible teaches that God uses persecution. He uses suffering uh, to advance the kingdom for yeah. those that are you know, caught up in it. And are the ones suffering, uh, they're paying the price for the rest of us. I mean, when the Bible talks about, you know, uh, when one part of the body suffers, yeah. we all suffer together. Yeah. Let's go back to then Daniel's story. And I love that about uh, Leah's family. And, and yeah. we'll, again, we're going to continue to pray. And we will in just a moment here. I'm going to get you to pray before we close off. But tell me a little bit about Daniel's story, because it's, yeah. again, one of those stories where this young man should have probably died. He didn't. It was a miracle that he survived. Yeah. Uh, and not only has he survived, but he is doing amazing things for God. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so um, Daniel is amazing. You know, he showed up to pick us from the airport. And <laughs> this is the kind of thing that only happens in Nigeria. So he, he shows up to pick us along with another victim who I support. And so that victim named Yakubu says to me, he says, look, look at Dan, Dad. He has the same necklace that I have. And truly, I looked at Dan, and he had a scar around his throat from where his throat was slit by Boko Haram. And so it wasn't until, you know, we finished our meetings and our visits, and he was dropping us back at the airport. We had time to kill. And I said, you know, tell us about your scar. And he shared his really, really amazing story. The terrorists struck uh, at their home in Medugri. It wasn't a village. It was a city in the middle of the night. I mean, late in the evening, and he and his father and his brother's throats were slit by the terrorists. And, you know, he tells me, you know, he says they had hoods over their faces. And when they have hoods over their faces, it means that they're your neighbors and you likely know them. And that's why they put the disguise on. And so his father did not survive, but he and his brother survived. Uh, his mom and himself, they all escaped and moved to another, another city. And the mom was commuting back and forth. And guess what? Some years later, the terrorists abducted her too. And all of a sudden, young Daniel finds himself parentless and having to take care of four siblings. And what does he do? He drops out of, he drops out of college and begins to you know, walk on the street to take care of his family not knowing if he would ever see his mom again. He only saw her on a YouTube video released by the terrorists with guns around her. And so long story short, the Lord intervened. Miraculously, she was released uh, after almost a year. And so he's gone back to school now. But he's saying, Mom, you're never going back there. We have to build a house and stay here. And while he's in college studying engineering, he is building her a house. Yeah. And I'm so excited because uh, uh, VOM Canada is helping them along the path with that project. God bless you guys. 
Well, God bless you for what you're doing. And I've seen some of the video and we're, we're showing it uh, here uh, for those that are watching uh, the podcast. And again, if, if you're listening, you can go to vomcanada.com and uh, we'll have the information there. You can watch it or also put a link on the show notes. There's so much more to talk about. We will do this again soon, Emmanuel. But before we close today, let's pray. It is the most important thing that we do. Yes, we're going to build homes for those that have suffered. We're going to help widows have employment so they don't have to be dependent on others and they can have, you know, that important self-esteem, you know, for the orphans. All the things that are being done, um, going to government, absolutely, those things need to be done. But the most important thing is we pray. And it's really, Emmanuel, when we pray, the Holy Spirit gets a hold of our heart and then directs us on what we should do. So, Can you lead us right now, brother? Absolutely. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this opportunity to come before you. Thank you because we have access to you instantly when we don't have instant access to our government leaders. Thank you that you are the governor among the nations. You are the government of our lives. You are the government of the universe. And so, Lord, we pray today for um, your children who are just facing and unbelievable onslaught at the hands of the evil one. Father, we thank you for your grace and we ask more grace. Lord, we cry out, Hosanna, save now, save now, save now. Father, we want to pray specifically for Leah who has been in captivity all these years and have birthdays this month, spending another birthday in captivity. Lord, we just ask, that your spirit will be with her, will console her, will strengthen her, and will liberate her. Lord, we pray the same for Dorcas, the chip girl whose 24th birthday is next month. We pray again for her and her colleagues. Lord, we ask for your liberation for them, your salvation for them. Lord, we pray for many others, for Dan, who is trying to finish college and build a house for his mom. We thank you for all the folks in Voice of Matters Canada who are helping one way or the other. We pray um, for Leah's sister who just had a baby. Mm-hmm. Lord, we just lift them all before you, trusting you, Lord, that you will come through for them in a special way. We just ask a blessing on everyone who is sparing your thoughts for the persecutor today, wherever they be, whether in Nigeria or whatever part of the world, Lord, we thank you because you do all things well. And we know that your plans for us are for good and not for evil. You're a God who loves us with an undying love, with an eternal love. Lord, we pray that your children will experience it wherever they are. We thank you because we know that it ends well. It ends in glory. And we return glory and honor and power and praise to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. And let me pray for you too, Emmanuel, because I know that uh, you carry uh, quite a burden. And I know Jesus told us, you know, his burden is light, his yoke is easy. Uh, We have to remind ourselves of that when, you know, as we're carrying these things. I was actually at a a missions conference uh, recently, and somebody had stopped me and asked me, well, how do you deal with all the things that you see and hear? And I said, well, you know, I go for some counseling, you know, at times, and I, a part of I think it is is sharing the stories. Even what we're doing today, it's it's a part of the healing process because we don't carry this uh, just us. Yeah, uh, we're carrying it 
together. So let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for Emmanuel. Thank you for the heart and passion that he has for the people of Nigeria, his brothers and sisters, and even those that are doing these horrible things. I know as hard as to see a Boko Haram and Fulani herdsmen come to Jesus. And we've heard some of those stories and we continue to do that. You told us to pray for our enemies. And we do that right now. We pray that you will um, set them free of the ideology and the bondage that they're under and they come into relationship with Jesus. Uh, we pray for uh, President Bahari, uh, that he would do the right thing in his government. And Lord, we just ask that you will move upon their hearts to see the evil that is being perpetrated against the followers of Jesus because their identification is with you and they love you, Jesus. Uh, so be with uh, the government there and that they would, again, see the, the evilness of what's taking place. We continue to pray as well uh, for our brothers and sisters that are suffering uh, in Nigeria. And I too pray for, for Leah, her sister, uh, uh, Daniel that we just uh, talked about and, and the girls that are still being held captive and those that have lost loved ones over the years. And even in recent days, again, more bloodshed, more violence. We just ask God that you would uh, heal the hearts of those that have uh, broken hearts at this time. And we thank you that we can come before your throne to do that. And I thank you as well for my brother, Emmanuel. Uh, he could have just turned his back on this painful situation and and not in a, in a way that he was being disobedient, just hard, uh, but yet he still is there. He's still doing what you've called him and have just compelled him to do. Be with him, be with his family, and I just pray, Lord, that that more resources would come into uh, justice for Joss and and the other organizations that are working in Nigeria, so that we can be effective in helping our brothers and sisters in Christ. What a great privilege it is to know you, Jesus, to be a part of your church globally around the world. And again, we're reminded today that many of those that love the same Jesus we do and have a relationship with you are suffering because of their faith in you we thank you for this time that we've had together in jesus name amen amen emmanuel people want to find out more about what uh, you're doing justice for jaws how can they connect with you yes and so because of the work that i do expectedly the nigerian government uh is fighting me <laughs> i have been a voice for the persecuted for a dozen years um, and so it's really difficult uh, work, but God has been there for us, preserved us, protected us, um, despite all the attacks. Um, I don't publish a lot of what we do for the safety of the believers uh, in Nigeria, because the Nigerian government actually tries to persecute anyone who speaks out. Right. And, and, uh, but I do have a Facebook page uh, called um, uh, Petition. Obama, Petition Obama um, on Facebook. If you look at that, you will see uh, pictures and stories of the persecuted. Um, now, Greg, one last thing I do want to say is I know that what is happening in Ukraine is really, really horrific. And we see it on the news and we see, you know, the buildings that are destroyed. Now, the same thing is happening in Nigeria but it's not missiles, it's, you know, machetes and it's AK-47s. So it's not as flashy and it doesn't feature in the news. And the horror that we see in Ukraine is the same horror that we should feel about Nigeria, that people are being singled out 
for their faith. They stop taxis. They identify the Christians. They take them out. They kill them. And they let the Muslims go. Christians are being hunted like animals. And even the, the hunting of animals is not as bad as what is happening to Christians in, in Nigeria today. And so let's remember Ukraine, yeah. but remember Nigeria too. Yes, and I've talked about that too. And we've all been deeply affected by what has taken place in Ukraine uh, because of social media and you know video images that are coming out. Uh, even through the secular or mainstream media, but through yeah. social media to see just the atrocities. But I have reminded people that that this is happening in Nigeria. You're right. It's it's happening in a different way, not with the big missiles and those kinds of things, but people are dying and uh, they're being killed. And there are brothers and sisters in Christ. And we need to be praying about that. Emmanuel, again, thank you for all you're doing. I'm going to put uh, your Facebook information in our, our show notes. If you're listening to it, it's on the screen. If you're As you're watching, you can uh, find out what's going on. Continue to be praying for what is taking place in Nigeria. God bless you, Emmanuel. Love and appreciate you. Uh, we are thrilled to be partnering with amazing people like you. In fact, our mutual friend, Floyd Brobel, who is the CEO of Voice of the Martyrs Canada, he said, you got to talk to Emmanuel. He is the real deal. And uh, so we love and appreciate you, brother. God bless you. And thank you for all you're doing. Thank you very much, Greg. I appreciate you guys. God bless you. Again, thank you, Emmanuel. We are so appreciative of all you're doing, and uh, we will continue to keep in touch and you know, working together to help our brothers and sisters in Nigeria. And remember, the closer you are to Jesus, the closer you are to the fire. Mm -hmm.